As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everyone fights for a relationship based on potential. In the early stages of dating, it's actually very important. People bring their past into the present. They cannot let go of the toxicity from the past relationship, Mm. from the hurt of the last relationship. And you said it earlier, right? Confirmation bias. So then go into the next relationship and it's like, oh, because let's say their ex did it. Yeah. Oh, he did that. It must mean this is a toxic relationship and they bail. Like they yeah. don't give it the investment that any relationship may need because they've already written it off. Yes. There are, so what we're talking about here in a sense is, is a form of trust. Yeah. How do you trust the next time round that it will be different? I think that we focus on the wrong thing there. Mm. I think that we focus on, and, and actually I think a lot of advice that's given gets people to focus on the wrong thing because a lot of people say, you have to trust, you know, this is a different person. This is a different situation. You have to go in trusting. And it's, it's like, it might be a different person might be the same person all over again. I mean, you don't know. The point is you don't know and you can't know. You can't know how someone might disrespect you, cheat on you, lie to you, you betray you. You can't know. And if you can't know, reassuring someone that this, you can trust them. It's going to be okay. It's pointless. Why reassure them something that you and them can't possibly know? So rather than try and control this thing that's uncontrollable, that's kind of just a dead end, it's a loop that you have to go on of reassurance, freaking out again, reassurance, freaking out again. Mm -hmm. There's a couple of other ways of looking at it. You don't have to trust someone else if you trust yourself. That's the first thing. And by trust yourself, I mean if... A lot of people are afraid that they're going to get into another relationship, that they're going to get close to someone, that that person's going to hurt them. But their experience has shown them in the past that when someone hurt them like that, they didn't necessarily have the strength to walk away. They didn't necessarily have the strength to rebuild themselves afterwards. You know, I had a woman come to me and she said, I, 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 you know, she had children from a previous marriage and her husband cheated on her. And she said, I find it difficult to trust in the next thing. I said, but you can trust yourself 
far more this time because she said I, I was in that marriage 20 years and I, I and I knew seven years ago that there were problems that this person was unfaithful and I stayed in it year after year and it scared me off of trusting someone I said but you eventually left right you you're not who you were seven years ago where you found out and then stayed for seven years you're who you are today who actually had the strength to leave and understanding that is the key to self-trust We've learned how to deal with certain situations. We've learned how to walk away faster. We've learned how to spot red flags in a way that our 21-year-old self was far too naive to or ignored. We know what to pay attention to these days. So it's not like we have to go around playing detective next time or worrying, are they going to cheat? Or are they going to do that? Well, they might just make peace with it. In, in California, there might be an earthquake. You and I aren't sitting here like this just in case there's an earthquake, are we? Like... At any point, this could happen. No, you you know, you know, have Get your procedure. Like if there's an earthquake, we're going to stand in a certain part of the house that's the safest and, and now get on with life. You, you don't trust that someone's never going to betray you. You just trust that you'll be able to handle it if they do, that you'll be able to walk away. That's a massive key to it. Stop worrying about whether you can trust someone else. Maybe you can't. We don't know that. Only time will tell. If you can trust somebody else, that is a pointless waste of your energy to worry about. Worry only about yourself. So that's the first argument for trusting is that just trust you. Don't trust them. Trust you. I can walk away if I need to. Mm. Um, there's also the standards argument for trust, which is that I'm going to trust and and. You know, what happens when we don't trust is we suffocate people, we get overly jealous, we get controlling, we start playing detective in their life in a way that invades their privacy, steps over their boundaries. We start doing things that are unfair to the other person mm -hmm. and we start damaging the relationship for a fear that hasn't necessarily even come true yet. Now the relationship is getting damaged, not because of, the not because of what they're doing, but because of the way we're now violating the integrity of the relationship. So you have to have a standard that says, I'm going to play my part in creating a beautiful relationship. I'm going to give this person space enough to hang themselves, enough to betray me. I have to. That's what a great relationship is. I have to give you enough space where you can betray me, where you can do something wrong. It can't be that you only don't betray me because I'm monitoring you the whole time. <laughs> yeah, the threat of it. <laughs> right? That's not... Now, I don't know what I have if the, only, if, if the conditions for you not betraying me are that you're under surveillance. Mm -hmm. I only know what I have if I give you complete freedom to do it and you don't. Mm -hmm. So my standard has to be, I'm going to trust not because you're never going to betray me, and I know that for sure, I'm going to trust because that's my standard for the kind of relationship I want to be in. God, I love that. And when you said like looking through the microscope and make, you know, checking everything out, if you've had a bad, um, a bad relationship and they've done something wrong and you want to learn from it, right? You're like, okay, what will I do different Le next time? You've learned all these lessons. You bring the lessons to your next relationship. And let's say your next relationship where they do one little thing that is similar to that, I think people, some people who have their defenses up are like, oh my God, there it is. I knew that I found it and they'll bounce. Versus going, what does this mean about them? 
is this a reflection? I need to pay attention, mm. right? Don't ignore it. That would be a mistake. But go instead of jumping to conclusions, let me like play it by ear or let me see if that actually does come into fruition. Would you like suggest kind of testing a bit like that? I think that um, you have to come to them from a compassionate place as a teammate. Because that again, that has to be your standard. I'm going to come with a sense of teamwork and compassion that says, I'm not immediately going to attribute, even if my fears are screaming mm. at me too, I'm not immediately going to attribute the worst possible intention to this. Instead, I'm going to get curious about what was behind this when you did it. Here's how it made me feel like his, it, it has upset me. And, you know, rightly or wrongly, that's because it made me feel like you didn't care or you weren't mm -hmm. thinking of me. And if we can do that without immediately labeling, without immediately accusing, if we can create just a little bit of space between the point at which we get curious and the point at which we've drawn all of our conclusions, mm. that space saves relationships and the conclusions are natural. If we've been screwed over, if the last time we saw this behavior, it was followed by realizing someone was cheating on you, then it's natural to see a little bit of it and immediately go to the same place. Mm. But I've, I mean, in, in all sorts of different ways, I've been made a fool of there. Where I saw someone in one relationship do something that looked like some, someone, something someone did before, which usually was, you know, followed by some horrible pain. Mm. And I immediately jumped to this feeling and then, you know, made a conclusion. Our brains are, we have a supercomputer, but that's also dangerous because the number of calculations and deductions that can get made in mere seconds that can take us from someone didn't text me back to three hours to they're having an affair. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's really where I think it ends up being, you know, detrimental to your future relationship. Because, I mean, there's so many different elements here, right? There's how to not get in a toxic relationship. Then, then if you are, how to get out of it and respect yourself. And then how to not then bring it into the future relationships. Um, and then, like you said, you can get there so fast and it really can be detrimental to the potential that this relationship could have. And that, that is, see, everyone fights for a relationship based on potential. Mm -hmm. <laughs> based on what they think it could be. Even that person that, you know, but I, but I love them. Mm. What they're fighting for is their vision of what the relationship could be. Right. Or you know, should be. Or should be. They think. But in their mind, it's still, yeah, like it but we love each other so much, this, sh this should be the most amazing thing ever. Well, let's look at what it is. Mm -hmm. In the early stages of dating, it's actually very important that I, we miss crucial opportunities to see what the relationship is if we lunge in mm -hmm. with attacks and accusations instead of letting someone know what we're feeling and asking them kind but honest questions. We don't really see what's going on because they feel attacked, their, their defenses go up. What we really need to do is say, I'm gonna learn more about this person's intentions. 
either because I don't feel they're trying hard enough or as much as me, or because they just did something that I don't feel was very nice. I'm gonna learn more about what's behind it. And that is gonna provide me with information. Acknowledge that there's a gap. There's a gap between where I want things to be and where they are. Highlight the gap in a, in a classy and tactful way. Look at whether this person acknowledges the gap because it's usually the sign of a toxic relationship if the gap can't even be acknowledged. Mm -hmm. What are you talking about? I'm trying just as much as you. And if you're like, you're really not. Like I'm clearly hey, come on. making many more sacrifices than you are, doing much, think of you way more than you think of me, do more than you do for me. Like if you know there really is a gap and it is not being acknowledged at all, that there is no sense of someone being able to look at themselves honestly and go, Okay, you're right. If they try and make you crazy, that's a form of, of toxic behavior. But can they acknowledge the gap? That's the first step. Now that's a positive sign if they can. Mm. You can work with that, right? Ah, this is actually a sign of a healthy relationship. I've brought something up. They didn't make me feel stupid for bringing it up and being vulnerable and revealing a wound. But that alone isn't enough because someone could say, I get it, you're right, I'm gonna do better. And then a month from now, nothing's changed. Yeah. And that's where you have to say, it's one thing that someone is acknowledging the gap, but acknowledging and being able to deliver are two very different things. And the fourth step is noticing whether the gap's being reduced. I got a question for you. Is that exactly the same analysis that you would do if you're the toxic one in the relationship. Like I can see where a lot of people blame other people. Mm. It's hard to see when you're the problem. Yeah. So I think it's important to acknowledge or ask yourself the question with no blame, no judgment. I'm always about results, not about feeling badly about it. Yeah. Um, but if you're actually asking yourself, what if I'm the toxic one? Would you still break it down like that? Well, I think one of the hardest things in the world is, is self-awareness. Yeah. And I think self-awareness about where am I, where is what I'm asking for reasonable and where am I being unreasonable? Oh, dude, I'm going to push you on that because no one says I'm being unreasonable. People don't actually think that about themselves. Or do you think that? No. Well, I, I try to really look at certain situations because I'm a very... To a, to a fault, probably, self-reflective person. Mm -hmm. I overthink, that's my problem. I, I, you know, I'll say something in a conversation and then I go away and I go, should I have said that? Mm -hmm. I feel like I, I kind of overstepped the mark there mm -hmm. and I start, you know, like I can obsess if I'm not careful. So I've had to like, I have to really mind my own obsessive qualities. What mm -hmm. makes me very good at my job. Yeah, I do. <laughs> is also my worst enemy Yeah, I was going to say, what is your superpower is also your kryptonite. For sure, because I'm good at seeing 10 steps, 20 steps ahead. Mm. That's, that's like my gift. But I, when I try to be very aware of when I'm doing something, am I, am I being, is this me asking too much or is this me doing something is me, am I asking for something unreasonable here or is this reasonable? And I think a lot of people go through that in relationships, especially when they're with someone who's saying, you know, because a lot of people's initial defense is what you're asking for is 
is unreasonable mm. or what you, I didn't do that. Like we, we all do it at times. We get defensive and our first port of call is to try and make the other person seem like they're overreacting mm -hmm. or it's very difficult, especially when someone's making us feel like we're overreacting to get impartial and to say, where is the line between me asking too much and me asking for the right amount? Right. And, and sometimes I think people don't realize they're toxic because they're so convinced of their story. Right, that's what I was going to say. It's more like a frame of reference, right? So it's like my frame of reference is going to be very different from Tom's. It's going to be very different yeah. from yours, right? We just have different upbringings and yeah. we've been told different things and we've encountered different things. We went to different schools, like all these things that encounter our, you know, build up yeah. and, and create our belief system then comes <laughs> to the, well, how do you know who is being reasonable and who's not? Because my frame of reference is I'm very reasonable. Yeah, of and course. And Tom's frame of reference may be you're being so freaking unreasonable. Yeah. Um, so I how do you... I, I try to keep a record, not just of the times I was right, but I do try to keep a record of the times where I was so wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, where was I so utterly convinced of a thing? Mm -hmm. And then I came to someone and I was like, you know, oh, what, so blah, you didn't text me back because of this reason? And, they, and they're like, yeah, but I didn't even, my phone wasn't even on. Or mm -hmm. I didn't even, and I'm like, Okay, like you have that moment of that, that realization where you go, oh man, what just happened in mm. my mind? Mm. Like, where did I just go? I think, I think it's important, not, not in a way of all, never, never trusting yourself, but just in the sense of being aware of how wrong you can be. And therefore, at the very least, mm. having allowed that to make the space for you to at least go into a situation curious mm. about what their intentions were, about what may the way maybe a way that you're not bringing it up in the right way, or you know rushing too quickly to accusations or conclusions. At least allow your knowledge of how wrong you've been in the past mm. to create the space for you to be curious instead of rushing mm. to the end of the story already, and then be honest with. Uh, is this person, I'm, I'm being honest about ways that I want to bring my best to this and I want to be clear-headed and I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. But are they being a teammate in that? Mm. Or is everything, are all the concessions on my side? Is all the work somehow always about what I need to do? Is it never a joint effort? And I think sometimes that that's a giveaway that, you know, we've convinced ourselves we're the problem all the time, but you know, we're not, we're not getting, uh, well, they're not making life easy for us. But when we're the toxic one, mm -hmm. we're convinced that everything they've done is wrong and that we're justified in however we're acting. Yeah. And look, I, and, and my point is that sometimes we're in the wrong somehow, like we need to address certain issues, but at the same time, life's not black and white. Sometimes you have your issues, but they're also not that they are feeding your anxiety in a certain way, or they are contributing in a certain way, or they're not being empathetic to certain things that you're feeling, or they're, you know, sometimes it's like if you take attachment styles, right? People talk about the, you know, the, there's the book Attached that goes through anxious, secure, and um, avoidant. The anxious attachment style 
you know, typically we're worried about the end of the relationship being abandoned. Someone doesn't love us. We need reassurance.、Mm-hmm. Well, if you're with someone that inflames your anxieties all the time. That can be a problem. It doesn't mean you're not anxious, and that you being anxious isn't a problem. It just means that you're also with someone who sends you to the extreme when it comes to those things. So I do. I think we have to be mindful of whether we're with someone that, in a way that's not healthy, inflames the worst parts of us. Because I do think the right relationship has a somewhat calming effect. On those things, that was so perfect. You're so right. Like it's not black and white. Like even in everything we're saying, there's so much nuance to everything. Yeah. And I actually really liked you saying, like, yes, if, even if we are the one that's toxic, we, you know, if we acknowledge it and then try to change it, but also see is the other person inflaming it. That was just amazing. And、um, I'm so aware of that in my relationship that. I have issues just like anyone else, and so I have insecurities. And I know that with Tom's personality, he wants to like fix things. So if I'm insecure about something, he's trying to fix it. It ends up inflaming my insecurity on it because I feel like, well, I can fix it myself, and、mm. he's trying to jump in, and it becomes like this whole thing. And he's like, I'm just trying to help. And I'm like, I feel like you're telling me what to do, and it becomes this whole thing. And so we're just very honest with each other. And so now, now it's just like, babe, my assumption is X, Y, and Z,、mm. or it's I'm feeling extremely insecure right now. I know you think I'm nuts. Like I'll even say that to him. I know you think I'm nuts right now, but I, I, the fact is, I'm actually feeling very sensitive and insecure. So what I need from you is, and I literally tell him what I need. I'm like, I need you to hug me. I need you to not try and fix it. Because I know this is a me problem. This is not a you mm, problem. Mm. And if I, my natural inclination, my natural emotions will go to annoyance, frustration, and I harden. I don't go soft. I harden. And when I harden, it becomes even more confusing. That's your weapon. Because that's my weapon. Ah,、oh, yeah. Right. It's my weapon. But that's really interesting because that it's it's an evolution of what I'm saying because it's. If you look at the weapons versus wounds concept,、mm. right? That our weapons destroy relationships. Our wounds have the power to. Strengthen our relationships. What you're really doing there is exposing a wound,、mm-hmm. and and being brave enough to like expose it, but also showing him how to treat it. Yeah, you're like spelling yeah. out. Yeah, here's my wound, and here's exactly how you can treat it, and that's really powerful. Because now I'm 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 going one step further than being vulnerable. I'm also showing you. What you might be able to do to come to my aid right now, but like you said, that's not something someone can even start to do. If you go up to them cold and hard, <laughs> that's not something someone can't even access that part of themselves. Because especially if if they're ever given to questioning themselves, or, or they they go, well, what have I done? I've done something wrong. Why are you mad at me right now? Or why? You know, why am I not enough to make you happy right now? Well, why? You know, then now all of a sudden you're into a whole other thing. If you went to a therapist about a situation in a relationship where someone had wronged you, I don't think any therapist would be doing their job if they started by saying, "Well, you saw this really early on, <laughs>、yeah. and you ignored it. So let's talk about you."、Mm. I that、mm. the, you're not going to get anywhere with someone there because the, at first, what we need is someone to to be sensitive to the fact that this isn't our fault. Something has happened. We have been wronged. Someone may have done something that was wrong, and in that sense, we are a victim to someone else's actions.、Mm. But 
at a certain point in our journey, we have to also realize that, that we've been a victim of ourselves. And that doesn't mean we should hate ourselves. And that's the scary part, mm -hmm. is that when we've allowed something for a long time in a relationship, we, and, and we then come to terms with the fact that we should have left sooner or could have left sooner, but I would argue we couldn't because if you could have, you would have. But we feel like we should have left sooner and we wasted so much time and then comes the regret. Then comes the self-hatred. Mm -hmm. My hatred towards you turns inwards and now I hate myself for why didn't I leave? Um, and what we have to pay particular attention to is I've, I'm, I've been a victim of me and I need compassion for that. Mm. I deserve compassion for that because me is a complex person. Me is someone who has demons, has problems. They had demons that wronged me, but I had demons that allowed that to happen. I didn't think I was good enough. I was too scared to be alone. I was modeling something I'd seen from my past trauma that felt comfortable to me, even if it didn't make me happy. It felt like mum and dad, or it felt like my early model of a relationship. So I was modeling something that wasn't designed to make me happy. It was just within my comfort zone. You know, I have my trauma, my demons. I am as, I'm a, a victim to those things. But what I can do in the next relationship is I can understand that last time around I was a victim to those things, those, that decision making that mm -hmm. I did last time around. And I don't have to be a victim to that this time around. I can trust myself more this time around than maybe I would have then. Because a lot of women I deal with struggle in the next relationship, not just because they may frame it as I don't trust other people based on what's happened to me. But, but when we trust ourselves, when we trust our own strength, when we trust our ability to pay attention and to act accordingly if someone isn't making us happy, regardless of how strong we feel for somebody, we don't fear the things they do as much. Mm. We, suddenly needing to trust is actually not as important. I hope that the people close to me won't wrong me, but I don't need to spend my life obsessing over whether I trust them if I believe in my own strength, if I believe that I'll be okay if it goes wrong. And, and, and that's the part that we get really scared of is I'm, we come to believe that we're brittle and that if it goes wrong again, we'll break. Mm. Or if I develop feelings for someone and they start doing things wrong, I don't trust myself to leave. So I just don't want to get close to anyone because I know what happens to me when I get close to someone. When I get close to someone, I start ignoring the bad things and I wind up in exactly the same situation. So I just, I won't even let myself get close to it. That's actually at that point, not about not trusting somebody else. It's about not trusting ourselves. And so the game becomes, I need to have trust in myself by building up my own strength. And it's why I've developed programs and it's why I made a retreat that I take people on to build, to build the strength they have internally, not so that they can trust other people more, right. but so that they can trust themselves more and know that 
they'll always be okay. They'll always be able to return to a place of inner peace and happiness and strength, no matter what happens. And ironically, that then becomes the most attractive part about them, is that they're not living constantly in an anxious, stressed place of, are you going to do something? Are you going to... They, right. they can actually say, no, I, 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 I know that if I'm in the ring, I might get hit. That's like a possibility in love. It's a possibility in business. It's a po I'm in the ring. I might, get, I might get hit. But if I know that I'm bulletproof, then I don't need to worry about stepping into the ring. Here's something that I want to actually throw with what you're saying. It's so beautiful, but Tom absolutely can... Um, do things that will break me into smithereens that I know I will never recover from. If he, so I've given him two, two things that I will never stay. He cheats on me or he hits me. I'm out the door. There's no discussion. There's no explanation. There's no time to like add, debate. I'm packed and out the door before he even has a chance to say anything. And I know that that could potentially break me for the rest of my life. Hmm. But it's worth it. Because what I have with him, the trust, the comfort, the security that I feel right now is worth it, knowing that he still can absolutely break me. And when I think of the alternative to be in a relationship where I can't fully give myself over, mm. I, don't un I don't know for myself, and this is purely, I'm just talking about myself, I don't feel like I can properly properly bond with that person and give myself over to them. And I think that in a relationship, it is a beautiful thing to do, to be able to give yourself over to someone and give them, and again, I'm talking from someone that has never had the extreme abuse or you know been cheated on. But there is power for me and my relationship for Tom to give over to me and for me to give over to him. Yes. And look, in boxing, you, you learn you can't throw a punch without exposing yourself to a punch. Yeah. It's not possible. You could sit and defend the whole time. Meanwhile, you'll still end up getting hit somewhere defending. Mm -hmm. but, but if you want to throw a punch, the moment my, my, my fist leaves the side of my head, I'm exposed. Mm -hmm. In life... You can't make an impact without being vulnerable, without making yourself vulnerable. Mm. I can't release a YouTube video without risking someone complaining about something I've said, someone disagreeing with something I said, someone finding fault, someone ascribing the worst possible intentions to something I've said. I can't, if I want to throw a punch, and in this case it's release a piece of content that I'm proud of, that I think is gonna help people. I can't do that without risking, without opening myself up. So at that point, we have to say, part of the recipe for getting back into a relationship after having been hurt, is to simply ask yourself, what's the alternative? Mm. Yeah. If you ask yourself, is it possible that in this next relationship, someone's not gonna cheat on me. Well, your brain might go, they're definitely gonna cheat because everyone you've ever been with has always cheated on you. Right. But if you say, well, what's the alternative to me putting myself in another relationship? It well, it's I guess, never literally let a part of me die is what it equates to. 
I'm not going to flirt with anyone again. I'm not going to let anything get anyone get close. I'm not going to express this part of me that is essential to my being. I, I have to amputate a part of my my personality and my needs that are essential to my being. Well, that seems to me like too high of a price to pay to avoid some pain. Mm. So Which is possible. You, so would you say what type of what what relationship do I want to be in? What are the necessary things well, for this? Well, I would I, I would say, what's in the same way that I make a video. I know that there are times where I've made a video, and there's a response that is a really ungenerous interpretation of something I've said, and I'm just like, screw this. Mm. I, there's an ego part of me that's just like, I don't need to do this. Like, why am I doing this? Mm. I don't want to, you know, like, and it, immediately I want to shut down and I want to be like, I, I'm done. I'm done making videos. How many times have you heard people say, I'm done with relationships? Correct. Yeah. And it's the same thing. Yeah. But then you have to say, what's the alternative? Yeah. So the first step in putting yourself back out there in your love life is to just believe that it's necessary because the alternative is too high of a price to pay. Now, you'll notice that that doesn't need you that doesn't require you to believe that something else is even possible. It doesn't require you to change your whole beliefs about what's possible in your love life, to lose all of your trauma and all of those parts of you that are like, everyone's going to do this to me. This is always going to be. You don't even have to deal with that yet. Because all you need to deal with is the part of you that wants to shut down. Reason with that part of yourself and say, let's run this experiment. Is this Re is the alternative really a life we want? Mm -hmm. Or is it too high of a price to pay? And it's really easy to say, I'm, gonna, I'm done with dating, right? Okay, fine. After a year, two years, three years, four years, you start to realize that I am missing something fundamental in my life by not engaging in this part of life. The second step is once you believe, okay, it, fine, you got me, it's necessary. I can't just turn this part of me off. I have to still, somehow this is a game I have to play. I have to be in it because it's essential to my being. We have the power to make someone else very, very happy on our best day. When we bring our full, the full energy of our love to the table, we have the power to make someone else very happy. We also have the power to walk away if we realize that while we're willing to give all of that, somebody else isn't. Well, if that happens, I'll adjust course. But to say to ourselves, this light that I have, that has the potential to do so much good, that has the potential to make someone else so happy, I am gonna simply shut down or shut in a box and put away. What up guys? Now I'm gonna share something with you. I can sometimes have a tendency to overthink, question myself, and sometimes, or maybe very often, doubt the decisions I've made until my mind just starts spiraling. 
round and around. Does that sound familiar? Well, let's face it, when it comes to hiring people on your team, the pressure to make the right choice, the right hire and the right person is even bigger. The stakes are so freaking high, so you need to actually make sure that you have the right tools to help you find the right people so that your team can actually have clarity and work with utter confidence. And that's why, honestly, you've got to go check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion, let me repeat that, a billion with a B, professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals that you can't find anywhere else. And their simple tools make it so easy for you to filter candidates that actually have the skills and experience you are looking for, which saves you time. It's the one thing you're never going to get back is time. So hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. It's so easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 20 four hours. It's exactly why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. So guys, go check them out. LinkedIn jobs can actually help you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. So go and post your job for absolutely free guys at linkedin.com slash Lisa. Once again, guys, that's linkedin.com slash Lisa to post your job for utterly free. And of course, terms and conditions always apply. Now, we've all had that one friend who chimes in with the old adage, if it's right, it should be easy advice when we're having relationship problems. But from my experience, homie, that's not at all true. Whether it's romantic, friendships or professional, all relationships, all relationships require that you put the time and effort into growing and developing that relationship. And the best, most rewarding relationships happen when both people are willing to put in the freaking hard work to make that happen. I mean, that's certainly been mine and my husband of 21 years motto. So my homie, when you do actually face challenges in your relationship, therapy can be a great place to feel heard and work through it. And there's no easier or more convenient place to get started with therapy than with BetterHelp. Now, BetterHelp is 100% online and flexible to fit wherever and however crazy your schedule is because that's the important part that you can absolutely have better help navigate your current life with the bandwidth that you have and all you have to do is answer a few questions to get matched with the therapist that actually can best help you and be catered to you so guys become your own soulmate whether you're looking for one or not so go visit betterhelp.com slash women today to get 10% off your first month that's help H-E-L-P dot com slash women. Because I'm afraid that someone could hurt me. That is to base our entire lives on our own ego and my perceived fragility. I can't take it. But what about what you have to give? What about what you can actually do for somebody else? And how do you unwire those beliefs, though? Because if you've got the belief and you've been in different relationships and they've all ended very badly, let's say, you have the belief that either all men are bad or all women are bad um, or the belief that I'm no good and I shouldn't be in a relationship in the first place. Is there a way then to dismantle the belief as you build a new one? The, the greatest weapon that you have against existing beliefs and it's an unsung hero, it will make its entrance quietly, it won't even disturb your existing beliefs. You can, your existing beliefs can feel secure in themselves and you could just Trojan horse this little thing in that starts to mess it all up. And that's curiosity. Curiosity 
for me, is one of the most powerful words in the English language. I don't, I don't need to believe that something, that what I want is possible. I just need to get curious about, well, what happens if I do this instead of this? You know, one of my negative patterns, it still can rear its head if I'm not careful. I have to keep an eye on it. But one of my negative patterns is, or was, to, in an argument with my partner, it would be to get scared because it would trigger something old. Have an argument and it would trigger this old baggage of, this is, I'd feel anxious mm. and I'd be like, this is going to end. Because of past experiences yeah. that you've had. Yeah, past experiences or maybe childhood stuff. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Like it could be a whole cocktail of things. But it's, for whatever reason, an argument might trigger in me this immediate fight or flight response. Mm -hmm. Now in a relationship, fight or flight, <laughs> neither one is neither great. Was <laughs> <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> so, and, it, and by the way, there's different, there's fight, flight, freeze, faint. Right? None of those are good in a relationship. None of them serve you well when it comes to the inner workings of a romantic relationship. <laughs> yeah. But if you think about those, you know, I would either fight and I'd say something really negative or something that would be, that I would later regret. Mm -hmm. Or I would, or flight, which can come in the form of freeze, right? You, you don't have to physically go for flight if you, you can do flight just by staying in the same bed as someone, but rolling over and turning your back <laughs> to them and, and going quiet. And those would be my two responses. Now, part of that was the belief that if, you know, this means danger, and if it means danger, I need to protect myself. Well, what are the two ways I protect myself? Fight. So either go on offense as a form of defense mm -hmm. or flight. I'm going to distance myself so that you can no longer, this anxiety that I'm feeling can't exist if we don't have such a strong connection. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to try and sever the connection so that I can't feel this level of anxiety. Curiosity, how does that feel? make its entrance into that equation where I'm so certain of I'm so my anxiety is so certain that this means danger and I'm so certain about what the right thing to do is here okay curiosity says I am going to try something different against all of my instincts I am going to say I feel scared right now. And I want to talk to you about what we're talking mm -hmm. about, but right now my brain is shutting down because it's just going to a place of, of fear and anxiety. I, I don't know if I'm thinking straight right now. When you say that, what it's making me feel is this, and I don't know if that's really valid, but what I do know is sometimes when we have conversations like this, I feel myself shutting down because I feel myself getting scared. Now, who knows what will happen? With the wrong partner, 
I will get a different result, but it might be another bad result. But it will be different. And curiosity is great because it doesn't need to feel like it, it doesn't. It doesn't need to win. Right. Curiosity mm. is just oh, that got a different result. Still not a great result, but it got a different result. That's interesting. Yeah. But, and maybe now that becomes the flag that you wish you saw in the last relationship earlier on. Well, exactly. Because if I get vulnerable and I get a bad response to my vulnerability, mm -hmm. then I'm learning. I'm actually learning something new. Yeah. In the right relationship. If I get vulnerable like that, and then my partner says, oh my God, well, firstly, you're safe. The fact that we're talking about this, the fact that we're having this argument, in no way threatens us. We are solid. I want us to deal with this because it's important, but you and me are solid. So you don't have to, you don't have to worry about that. We're not brittle. This isn't going anywhere. So then I go, okay, what were you saying? What was the thing you were mad about? Okay, let me talk, let's talk about that. Now what got me to it, now what happens is I get a reference point. Whoa, I didn't do fight, I didn't do flight. I did this other thing and I got a different response. So my curiosity has now created a new reference point for a different belief mm -hmm. that, oh, I can be vulnerable and be safe. And not only that, but it even made my relationship stronger because she knows me better. And also I know her better because I know what she does when I get vulnerable. So mm -hmm. this becomes suddenly this very, very powerful healing moment in a relationship not because I believed something different, but because I was curious about almost being a, an experimenter. A scientist, you know, it's, it doesn't have to be good or bad. It's just, what's the result? What's the result when I do this thing? And if it's a good result, that curiosity has led me somewhere powerful. Even if it's a bad result, what did I really lose? I just got curious about what happens if I do things differently. If a woman is f afraid because she feels like guys are only there to, they're only messing her around. In, in dating today, guys just only want one thing. They mess me around, they don't try, they don't take me on real dates, they want sex or sexuality far too quickly. And so that's made me shut down. You know, I now shut down when I'm talking to someone new because I'm just worried that the moment I start to open up, they're gonna try and take it to a sexual place and then that's gonna, well, well, normally what I do is shut down and assume all guys are a certain way. Or in the past, I've run headfirst into something and really gotten myself hurt because I didn't communicate. Well, let me just get curious. I don't even need to believe that men can be good. I don't need to believe that. I just have to have some fun being curious. <laughs> well, what, what would happen if the next time a guy tried to get sexual a, a little more quickly than I would like? What if I actually pointed out to him that I really like him and I find him really attractive and I am a very, I'm a sexual person, you know, all of that sounds fun at some point, but right now I really want to get to know him better. Right now I really want to understand who he is more. Right now I, I kind of want to see what this could be first if there's a, if there's a, a deeper kind of connection. Because, you know, that kind of fun on its own is just not 
the phase of life I'm in. I'm up for that kind of fun with everything else. But that on its own is, is not something I'm looking for. What would happen if I was honest with that kind of compassion and charm and openness? What would happen? Maybe I don't know, because maybe I never do it. So instead of assuming how all of life is, why don't I just experiment? Why don't I get curious? Because all of life isn't the way that you or I have experienced it. It's one of the reasons why I'm like, I get so fucked up in my job because I'm not necessarily right. I have my experience and what I've been through and I piece it together with the mosaic of so many people I've worked with over time and that's created some general truths that I find really valuable. I think it's, I've been able to create and define some first principle thinking on which people can layer whatever specific ways of doing things they want. But the first principles are, are really important. I think I've arrived at a lot of really powerful first principles in my career. But we're still working from what we know and, and we know that what we know is so limited. For anyone who's been cheated on a lot or been abused or been in difficult relationships or struggled to meet someone or struggled to find anyone who wants something serious, what they have to be honest about is that their collection of experiences still represents a tiny mm. fraction of the available experiences in life and that there are people who get wildly different experiences than what they're getting because they do things differently. And we'll never know in our little world of how we do things, we'll never truly know how many different experiences in life are actually available if we do things differently. We have just, our programming, our trauma, our childhood, everything we've been through has set us up to do a certain thing that keeps getting a result that now feels like universally that's what life or people must so be like. But we're on this very specific set of train tracks that keeps ending up in the same destination and we just don't realize how how programmed we are to kind of do a certain thing over and over and over again you hate parties until you go to a party with your friends and there's music you like and all of a sudden you're like oh, <laughs> parties can be fun you know you you learn oh there's so many different this is what everyone's been talking about when they're having a good time doing this thing if i can maybe add one more thing on top of curiosity, one of the things that can really help us through, hmm, through our own trauma, through the things that we've been through, through our own scars or wounds, if we don't want to call them trauma, is humility. Mm. Humility that all of us have gotten to a certain point of our, of, in our lives where we look back on something we were so sure of and have thought, whoa, not only was I so sure of that, I was so deeply, deeply misguided. I was so wrong. It may even be that the direct opposite is true of what I believed.
or, or I've come to believe that the direct opposite is true. And, and we get humbled in those moments. And we would do well to remember those moments when we have convinced ourselves that life is a certain way. No one can be trusted. Everyone's going to do this to me. This is always going to be my experience. I'm never going to meet someone because I haven't, I've been single for 10 years now and I haven't met anybody in that time. We would do well to introduce alongside that curiosity to, to add a dash of humility into that cocktail because we have been here before in this place of certainty and we have been just as wrong as we might prove to be about what we believe today. Oh, I literally didn't want to stop you. That was so freaking fire. I'm such a person that's like, well, belief is all that matters. You've literally just completely debunked my thinking and I love the curiosity. Like, that's the thing. That's what I really wanted to dig into today is like, what are the things that we can do so we don't get trapped, that we don't get stuck, that we don't see something and misinterpret and then never trust ourselves again. Um, so curiosity and humility over belief. That's so incredible. When it comes to struggling with the very uh, notion of committing, social media has exacerbated and magnified the, the ego, the needs we have, the need for attention, the need for connection, the need, we're seeing all of these things. And in a sense, the same is true of dating apps. What dating apps do and what the choice problem does is it, it interrupts the normal kind of attraction circuitry. So if we go on a date back in the day before any of this was a possibility, A, it probably would have been more difficult to get that date. <laughs> right. right. Some people today would say, well, it's probably easier because now I talk to all these people on apps and it never even turns into a date. So there's that. But in order to get on a date back in the day, you had to do something brave, right? And because you were brave, you kind of valued it differently. You know, when you do a brave thing and because you did a brave thing, you value it. I went over there and I spoke to that person and he or she liked me and said, yes, what are the chances? They said yes, and we ended up exchanging numbers, and, and then someone had to call. They couldn't even text. They had to call. They had to call and say, do you want to go on a date? That takes bravery. It takes effort. Yeah. And then you got on the date, which already you value more because effort had to go into getting the date. And now after the date, what happens? It, it's effort to get another date, right? So you're probably actually just appreciative of the date you have and you're looking forward to the next time you see that person. So now what you have is a very, very important part of attraction is anticipation. Is the, the, there's, a, there's a dark and negative side to the fantasizing about someone, which is all the projection we do and mm. attributing wonderful qualities to them we don't even know they have yet and that makes everything too high stakes too soon, makes us fall in love too quickly. But it also has a bright side, which is, when we're away from someone and we're investing in them through our thoughts, even if it's not visible to them, we're investing psychologically in the situation. What could it be? We're, we're replaying the date. Oh, wasn't it really fun when that happened? Oh, I really like that thing they said. Oh, I can't wait to see them again. All oh, right, you know, I'm a little nervous about seeing them again. We have all of that. That creates a, a, a kind of attraction narrative, an attraction plot line mm. that plays out. Well, compare that with now. You go on a dating app, 
you're talking not just to one person, most likely, you're talking to multiple people. Imagine trying to watch five movies at the same time <laughs> and enjoying any one of them. It doesn't matter how great any of the movies are. You're watching five at the same time. If you've got five screens in front of you at the same time, you're watching movies like people watch sports in a sports bar where there's baseball and there's football and there's basketball and there's, you're not invest, you're not deeply invested in any one game. You're not in it. You're, you're being spread amongst all these multiple plot lines. So it's harder to get invested. Now you go on a date, right? At the end of that date, we get home. And what do we do? Within seconds, we open up our phone. We go straight to the app that got us the date in the first place. And we see what else is going on? Who else has messaged me? And you're into not only another attraction plot line, but you've had the one that you were in disrupted. That could be a positive thing in the sense of not getting us too invested too quickly in one person, but it can also, the, the dark side of it is that we never really get invested in anybody. Wow, I love that you, you point out the, the dark and the light. That's mm. really powerful and you're 100% right. It's just easy, right, to flip through people. It's like, oh, maybe there's someone else, maybe there's someone else, mm. maybe there's someone else. But with Tom and I, it's like we were dating cross country. So it was like you had to plan the time that you were going to speak on the phone and that commitment to each other um, was very evident almost from the start because we either um, showed the commitment in, in our actions or we didn't. So to me, that was a great sign that, oh, he's willing to commit to this like I am. We value what we invest in. It, you know, we, we want to know what's valuable so that we can invest in it. But, but it also works the other way around. You are investing in something. Mm. And the more you invest in it, the more you care about it. But if you never invest in anything, it's the same as a job. You know, you, you really, the career you sculpt for yourself, that you really work on and you really make your own, does, you end up caring about it because you've invested in it. That's so true. So then how do you navigate when someone is, let's say I'm in a relationship and I'm looking to come here, I'm putting the time and effort and energy like you said, I'm really nurturing it, but the other person isn't doing the same. Mm. How do you approach the commitment discussion from the get-go um, and know whether you should invest because sometimes there, is, there, is there really even a should or shouldn't? Um, because so many women that I personally know have gone into, okay, I'm going to commit to this person. They've poured themselves in it, but they're not getting it reciprocated back. Mm -hmm. And so now what ends up happening is because of their past, they are now afraid to commit, not because they don't want to commit, but because they're afraid to, because they've given it so much before mm -hmm. and it wasn't reciprocated. We have to look at our own patterns and say, what happened before that led me to so much pain? Because I'm associating this pain with the idea of me giving a lot. But, but maybe this pain has been misattributed. Maybe this pain is not the result of me having given a lot. The pain is the result of me having ignored a lot of what I wasn't getting. The, the giving part of me is one of the most beautiful parts of me. I always think when we leave a relationship where it didn't pan out, but we threw ourselves in and gave our all, we get to see the best side of ourselves in a way. Mm. You know, we get to see what we can be when we really show up. That should actually give us some confidence, knowing that, God, that's, I gave it to the wrong person maybe, 
That's who I can be. And people don't do that, though, right? They beat themselves up. People are like, I can't believe I gave myself yeah. over. Why did I do it?、Yeah. And it almost has the opposite. We, at least for me, I didn't see it as being beautiful. I just told myself, "You're so stupid, Lisa. You shouldn't have done that." Yeah, and and and, and two things are important. One is to take. Take the beauty in what you gave, and know that in the right hands, that remains a beautiful thing.、Mm. But to under to really seek to understand what was I ignoring, and why was I ignoring it? What was going on with me that I was ignoring it? Not to beat myself up. I really don't believe in that. Don't say I can't believe I didn't do this before. I'm so stupid. Say I wish you know. Yeah, it would have been nice if I'd had this information then. But I was—I'm a different person now, and that's where change comes from—is that I'm legitimately a different person than I was when I was making those decisions before. The danger is if we say giving equals pain. No, giving doesn't equal pain. Ignoring things, ignoring the fact that I'm giving to the wrong person, equals pain, and therefore being more practical or measured or or conscious about who I give. My energy too is really the 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 better frame that I need to have, the better paradigm I need to have going forward. Now you could look at that practically in the context of your original question, which is, you know,、uh, how do you know who to give to, and what if you're not getting it back?、Mm. You can apply a practical model in terms of time. You could say to yourself, what amount of time am I willing to lose? If I really、mm-hmm. believe in this, and I believe in this person. What amount of time am I willing to lose? Am I willing to give for a month or for two months, and to see where this can go if I really give my all? In which case, fine. Let me put a two-month cap on it. But let me not reevaluate that at the end of two months and go, well, maybe I'll give it another six. That's what I was going to say. People may move the goalpost. Right, and so that's why it's time isn't the only factor. Because if you just said I'm going to give relentlessly for two months,、mm. then it gives you an excuse not to pay attention to. What you're getting in return,、mm-hmm. unconditional love doesn't isn't real in the context of romantic relationships. It's just not. We want to believe it is, but it's not. Yeah. Romantic relationships are conditional because who would want to be in a relationship long term with someone who never gave back? A relationship can't be unconditional love because you're choosing to enter into a, you know, a, a, an agreement with someone about. Us being together, us spending time together, us af- having an effect on each other's energy, on on how we spend our time, on and I'm going to give to you, and there's, there's an opportunity cost to that because it means I can't give to somebody else, and and therefore I need a genuine teammate,、mm. and so I need to assess in the moment: is this person acting like a teammate, or is this person just taking? Is this person just using me because they want some validation at this point in their life?、Mm. You know, do they? Am I just a, a brief chapter for them? But I'm actually investing in this as if it's going somewhere. Those are the kinds of questions we have to ask ourselves, and then we have to be brave enough to ask questions of somebody that that may have answers with we fear. Right. Most people are afraid to ask the questions that can that may contain answers they're not ready to handle, and so what they say is, "Oh, I'm just seeing what it is. I'm just." I'm just going with the flow, and that becomes really a euphemism for、mm. I'm scared to ask a question. I'm afraid to talk about that because I'm afraid I'll get an answer I don't want, or I'm afraid I'll get an answer that, or I'm afraid that me asking the question is going to scare someone away.、Right. But if it's going so well, how are you going to scare someone away that easily? 
How is that, that going to scare them away if it's going well? It can only scare away the wrong person. It can't scare away the right person. So true. Well, the thing I've been working on for years with people is both the theoretical side, the philosophical side, and the practical side of all mm. of this. Because there's a, people will say, okay, so I need to go and have the conversation. So how do I have the conversation? What does it mean to have the conversation? Now we're into the language mm -hmm. of it, not just the theory. And that's really important. If you wanted to learn to public speak, you, there would be a philosophical element of how, what mindset should you have when you go on stage. But there's also a very practical element of how do you structure a great speech? What are the actual words that come out of my mouth? Exactly. This episode is sponsored by Real Good Foods. Click the link in the episode description and use code WOMENOFIMPACT all one word, for $25 off any purchase of $25 or more. Now, enjoy the episode. Should you then, yeah, vocalize, this is what I'm looking for, I'm looking for a committed relationship, are you willing, or is that too harsh? Well, it, everything is about timing, and in the beginning of dating, you don't have to say, are we leading to a committed relationship? Because on date two, <laughs> that is going to freak someone out, mm. most likely. But if someone told you three or four weeks in, I don't want a relationship. You're more than within your rights to say, I, listen, I am very much in a place in my life where casual fun is not exciting to me. What's exciting to me is actually creating something more meaningful, like a real connection with someone. And I don't need you to decide next week to be in a committed relationship with me. We're still getting to know each other. I don't even know you well enough to necessarily know that right now. But if you're not even open to the prospect of something more, then I think I might need to redirect my energy somewhere else. That's, that's strong. Mm -hmm. It's still compassionate. It's non-judgmental because mm -hmm. that's the place people go when they're angry or when they're afraid. Well, why aren't you looking for a committed relationship? Or, oh, so you're just looking for a bit of fun? Or it's like, Whoa, don't bring anger into it. Mm. Your game is not to worry about someone else. Your game is energy management for yourself because people burn out today in dating. There's a lot of what's, you know, you can term dating burnout. People are tired of the apps. They're tired of dates that don't go anywhere. They're tired of, oh my God, I was texting someone for three months and then nothing even came of it. I'm so sick of this. But people burn out when they use their energy in in ways that burn it too quickly, or when they invest too much in something that isn't actually going anywhere, or when they have long protracted pseudo relationships with someone who doesn't actually want the same thing, but they get stuck in limbo with that person. That's poor energy management. What I wanna do is always be aware, I have a limited amount of energy. Not everyone can have it. And my heart isn't something I give, it's a house that I invite people into. Right? I don't just give my heart, it's a, it's a, it's a place. Mm -hmm. And I don't just let any old stranger, because they seem attractive, come and just live in the house. So that early stage is really about, it, there's almost a, my brother has this phrase, my brother Steve Hussey is a writer for us. He has invest and test, mm -hmm. give a little, see how someone responds to that. If they respond positively and if they give a little back, that's wonderful. It's like texting someone in the morning. You text someone in the morning and say, I hope you're having a great day, handsome. You know, how, how's your morning so far? 
That's wonderful. It's beautiful. You don't need to sit there and go, would Matthew Hussey tell me to text him this morning <laughs> or should I not? Yeah, just be authentic. Just if, be you. Yeah. But tomorrow, maybe see if they reach out to you in the morning. Mm. Or even if, if you did it the last two days, see if on the third day they do it. But if you, people will come to me and say, I think they like me. You know, every time I text them, they respond. When I ask them out, they say yes. Okay, but what happens if you don't? What happens if you're not the one doing the work? Do they then step in to fill that space? Is it a dance? Or is it just you always walking over to meet them where they are? That's the dangerous part. You have to you have to be brave enough to step in sometimes, but you also have to be brave enough to step back and see if they mm. step in. And that's what a lot of people just don't do. They give and they give and they give, and they're not discerning about whether someone's meeting them at that level of energy. When you're working really hard to build the freaking amazing life and career that you want, it's sadly really easy to push your health needs to the back burner. And guys, listen, I totally get it because not all that long ago, that was me. I put everything into my business, everything into my goals and my family. And yep, I totally ignored my own health and wellness. And so I just learned the very hard way that putting your well-being first is actually the key to being a confident, unfreaking stoppable badass in everything that you do. So my homie, put yourself first and get mentally and physically strong with Aloe Moves, your go-to app for everything from meditation to yoga to strength training to hit and so much more. And I love how Allo Moves has such a wide variety of class types and levels to keep you motivated with whatever you need on your journey. No matter what your path is, it's time to make a move with Allo Moves. So right now, guys, you can go and get a free 30-day Allo Moves subscription by going to allomoves.com and use code WOI30. That's Allo, A-L-O, moves.com, code WOI30 in all caps. Allomoves.com, code WOI30, all caps. There is so much confusing and conflicting information out there about what is a healthy diet, right? But my rule of thumb, guys, is that if you focus on eating high-quality animal-based proteins rather than cheaper, over-processed meals with a ton of junk ingredients with long words that you just can't pronounce, then you'll immediately be surprised at how much better and how different you feel. That absolutely is how it was for me, guys, when I was recovering from crippling stomach issues that I wasn't able to eat much at all. And then I found ButcherBox. It was amazing because I could finally eat meat that didn't make me feel sick or bloated or just hunched over in agony. And guys, I'm telling you, never looked back. I am their biggest, most avid fan. And that's because ButcherBox's unbelievable high standard qualities in their product is guaranteed. ButcherBox is a premium meat subscription service that delivers the highest quality meats and seafood ships directly to your door. Every month, you can let ButcherBox curate a box of high quality cuts for you, or you can actually customize, if you're like me and very picky, you can customize your box with the exact things and the cuts that you are looking for and prioritize your favorite stuff. So guys, it is actually easy to eat better this year with the best meat and seafood on the freaking planet delivered right to your door. And ButcherBox is right now offering our listeners, that's you guys, your choice of a weeknight meal essential, three pounds of chicken thighs, two pounds of ground beef, or one pound of premium steak tips for absolutely free in every order for a year. 
Like, that's so insane. And I'm telling you, I'm so excited about this offer because I truly love the brand. Plus, actually, I got so excited, I forgot to tell you this. You get $20 off your first order. So just give it a try. Click the link in the show notes or go to butcherbox.com slash W-O-I and use code W-O-I to choose your free offer and get $20 off your order right now. I think, yeah, because it's just really hard to be to feel rejected, right? So I think that that comes part of it is like if you step back, you are now leaving space to be hurt because if they don't come towards you, that hurts, right? That you get it, you can get in your own head that I'm not good enough or whatever narrative you're telling yeah. yourself. So I actually get why that is difficult, but I totally understand that it is necessary because if you don't, then you're always stepping in and being the one that's giving and that's not right. receiving. And there's some people that never step in. So they have the opposite problem. Mm. They're so defensive and their walls are so up that they never actually take the brave step of stepping in and letting someone know that they like them or letting them know that, that they would like to see them again. Right. You know, and, and they're, because they're so afraid that if I do that, I can be rejected. So I'm going to make it so that someone can't even reject me. But that's, you know, that then, then we're, we're not getting results for the opposite reason. If we step in all the time and never give someone space, we lose someone's respect. Mm -hmm. If we never step in, then someone can't even get close enough to find out how amazing we are. So we go around saying no one ever likes me or nothing ever happens for me, but you're never actually giving someone enough of yourself for them to get invested. Mm -hmm. They're just seeing you from the outside. So true. I like that you said that, you know, when we just need to look back at our own behaviors and where are the things that we did? Where are the flags that we ignored? Like that's so powerful, like taking ownership to say, how can I not make the same mistake next time? Um, should we worry about our partner's past and their level of commitment commitment in their past relationships. So let's say I've done all the work myself. I've assessed how I've gotten into a habit of maybe committing more than my partner or wanting commitment and not receiving it. I've done all the work. Now, when I make the selection, because, you know, I think selection really matters. When I make the selection to go on a date or to be with somebody, how much does their past influence who they're going to show up as and how much should I worry about that? Because one of the phrases, while um, scary, I do think it's true. If they do it for you, they'll do it to you. Mm -hmm. And so worrying that if somebody, let's say, has left a partner for you or something like that, how much do you have to worry about that, their level of commitment in past relationships? Tricky question. <laughs> there is a difference, I think, between someone who comes to you already showing evidence of having shifted gears from their past and someone who in a sense the very behaviors of the past you're worried about are actually baked into the beginning of the relationship mm -hmm. because they you know they they're with you because they cheated on their wife or their boyfriend or whatever in order to be with you that is hard of is someone's going to have a much harder job convincing you that that behavior is in the past for them when the very way that the relationship started is a reflection of that behavior. Mm. So I do think there's a distinction to be made. If someone has had a past, but they're saying, you know, I've met you under different circumstances. I, and, and if you see that someone is acknowledging mm. their past, if you mm. see that 
they are taking ownership for their past. And, and that therefore you're able to see a true evolution there, even just in the way that they're owning it. Now, it's not an easy task. The job of anybody who has a past is to speak well about the changes that have occurred in them and why they've occurred. Mm. And to then back those, those claims up with real action. There's a, there's a, you know, character is consistent. Character is something that you see in people's actions every day. The intoxication in a relationship we can have over being admired and admiring someone, the lust of a relationship, and the intoxication of love in a relationship, and how often we as couples or we as people can sometimes um, mistake lust for love. Well, certainly a lot of bad decisions are made on lust alone, the desiring of a person and what we think we will get if we could just obtain that person that we desire. And that doesn't mean that the person you're desiring doesn't want you. Right. It just means that you, there's still that feeling when someone's mysterious, when we're really, really attracted to them, there's that feeling of trying to get them, whatever get means. I need to secure this thing, this person, this relationship. And in trying to secure it, we can neglect to ever stop and ask ourselves the question, is this thing that I'm trying to get, is this person I'm trying to get capable of really actually making me happy? Mm. I love that. So let's take a scenario where you first meet someone, because I think there's different levels in a relationship that we can take through. So why, let's start at just meeting someone. You often hear, oh my God, it was love at first sight. Mm. So A, do you actually believe in love at first sight? Or do you think it's actually lust at first sight? And we're mistaken it. And then I want to talk about how that can actually lead to potential um, misinterpretation of where the relationship is going. Love at first sight is typically a story told by the victors. Go on. We've all, we've all had moments where you felt something very powerful very quickly. But when we look back at situations where someone turned out to be very selfish, where they broke our heart, where their intentions weren't good, or where they just, it feels like they just used us and then moved on. We don't then romantically tell the story of it was love at first sight. <laughs> we say that was a really toxic situation or I got really caught up with someone and it bit me. We don't talk about love at first sight. Love at first sight is very easy to talk about retroactively with someone that you're still with 20 years later. <laughs> you can look back and go, it was love at first sight. Right. It doesn't mean there weren't feelings at first sight. It's just that you then build and build and build and build and build. And it's quite romantic in retrospect to say that what we had in the beginning was very powerful. In the beginning, you can have a powerful attraction, which we might call chemistry. You could also say there's a powerful connection, which is we immediately got the sense that we understood each other, that our outlooks on the world were either very similar or very compatible, that we felt like our belief systems merged, our values synergized. We, you and me together, there is something there.
both physical and perhaps cerebral, and maybe even soulful. The problem with overvaluing those things, it's not that those things aren't to be valued. Of course, it's fantastic when you have physical chemistry. You don't always have it. Right. A lot of people rarely have it. Of course, it's wonderful when you have a real deep soul connection with someone. You don't get that with everyone. But none of that refers to intention or investment. Mm. Attention is not the same as intention. You could give me lots of attention, but have no real intention behind it. There might be no intention for this thing to go anywhere. How many entrepreneurs or, or wannabe entrepreneurs get really excited about a new business idea? But there's no intention to stick with it. There's just the, I'm doing this right now because it's just really exciting right now. But as soon as it gets difficult, I'm not going to keep going. Or when it actually means waking up every day and grinding and doing the same things over and over and over again, I'm no longer going to be interested. And I'll move on to the next business idea that I'm excited about. So attention is not intention. Can I just follow up a question there mm -hmm. before we move on? So, but the thing with attention then is how in those moments do you decipher that it, it is attention and not love? Like this, right? Like you can say, but he loves me because he keeps phoning me and he keeps showing me and f like lavishing me with all this love and flowers. But actually it's, it's the attraction that, mm. is that is attracting them. I suppose we have to define what love means to us. When I think of love, I think of something that is generous and giving. And, and it's not about just accessing a feeling. There's the feeling of love, mm. of being in love, which isn't the same thing as, as being loving. But if you're on the receiving end... It's tough in the beginning because you can mistake the two. Exactly. And, and what someone does to impress you so that they, by reflection, can feel impressive... Mm -hmm. You know, it's really, sometimes people take us on a wonderful date because they want to feel good about themselves. If I take you on an amazing date and, you know, there's fireworks and you come away from that going, oh, you're amazing, then I get to feel amazing. We all want to feel amazing. Mm. And if the way I have learned how to feel amazing is by impressing other people, then the impressing has nothing to do with being loving. It has everything to do with me feeling impressive. Mm. I'm wanting you to reflect back at me how wonderful I am. And that is especially true of very charismatic and charming people. They tend to be the people that the first time we meet them, we go away going, God, they were so nice. Oh, they were such a, they were, I really like that person because they made you feel great. You feel like the sun is on you. And it feels wonderful, but as quickly as it's shining on you, it can move on. And how do you tell the difference? You look for consistency. It's very easy to value intensity when we have it, especially because it plays to some kind of love story or an idea of a love story we've had in our head for a very long time about what it's going to be like to fall in love. It's going to be grand and it's going to be exciting and it is going to be fireworks and it's going to be all of these giddy 
feelings. And so it's very easy to, it's not that those things are an evil. Right. It's just that it's very easy to, to overvalue them. There are plenty of highs in life that they're not necessarily inherently bad because they're a high. It's just that you have to kind of see it for what it is. This is a high, but it doesn't mean you're going to feel like this when you wake up tomorrow. And tomorrow, whatever is the baseline of life, it's like someone going out and, and doing a drug that makes them feel unbelievable. It's not necessarily an evil to go out and do something that alters your state and makes you feel great. But what you have to remember is how you wake up the day later, what, what life you experience the next day, that's your actual life. This was a high and you're not going to be able to live there all the time. The next day, that's your actual life or the life you had before you did it is your actual life. And the same is true in, in dating. It's where does the baseline return to when you're not on that ecstatic date with someone, when you're not in the throes of the most romantic moment, what is it like with that person on a Tuesday? What's their level of communication like on a normal day? How do they make you feel? Do they make you feel secure in the fact that they like you and that they're still going to be there the day, the next day? Or do they take you on that great day and then you don't hear from them for a week? Because if they took you on that amazing day and then there was no real follow up, there was no real consistency, their presence in your life disintegrates between those highs, then you know that this isn't this isn't love because love in that moment when they took you on that great date, they were trying to feel something. But in the rest of the time, they're not paying. They're clearly not paying attention to how you're feeling. And that's what love is. Love is. It works in two directions, right? Like the, the idea of love as a generous act works both ways. It's not all selfless. Love as a generous act can be very selfish, right? It's what am I giving to myself? Am I taking care of myself? Am I taking care of my own needs? A lot of people in a relationship where they're unhappy because their needs aren't getting met need to start giving more love to themselves. All their love has been going right. outwards. What does this person need? How do I make them happy? How do I please them? How do I? And the reason none of their needs are being met is because they're not actually turning that love inward mm. and saying, oh yeah, there's two people in this relationship. I'm, I'm one of, I'm 50% of the people in this relationship and 50% of the people in, that I'm pleasing in this relationship are going undernourished. I'm not, I'm literally only paying attention to half the audience in this relationship. I need to love the other half by asking for what I want, by, by demanding it, by expecting that my needs are, saying my needs are important enough to get met. So, so, so love is internal too, but it's also in the case of someone who gives you so much and then disappears, they're not really loving you because they're not listening. Mm. And it is one of the reasons, by the way, someone might say, but how, they may not know that you're suffering between dates. They may not know that you need more attention or that they need, you need more communication. Right. That's where it's incumbent on us in early dating to say, Hey, I, we had so much fun on the date with you. I didn't hear from you from the last four days. It made me kind of sad. You Ooh, have to be real. That 
I actually totally hear you, but it's very difficult to put yourself out there like that because as you know, you've spoken very eloquently so many times before of that just because you act one way and you perceive something one way doesn't mean that they perceive it the same way. And so for me to be honest and open and say to someone after four, you know, because I want to be real, like everything you've just said, I want to be have a, you know, build a transparent relationship. So I'm just going to start from the beginning. I'm going to say this because that's the gift that I want. Now, what if the other person though, in their shoes perceives it as wow that's actually really forward and while I actually really liked you and I was so with you on it my perception is I've, I'm busy I've got all this life and so if, if you're now demanding that I have to text you within four days and you're saying you miss me right so something that can be so genuine and so beautiful and so pure and you're both connected mm. in those acts how would you suggest um, people go about it like do you think well that's you need to be pure and you need to be who you are and if someone doesn't meet you there then maybe they're not right or is there like some malleability at the beginning of a relationship where you can hold back see where they are or is that deception it's a great point playfulness in the beginning is your friend when you don't know someone very well when you're just kind of testing the waters with each other, trying to figure out how much you like each other. I'm not suggesting that after date one, you send someone a message saying, I didn't hear from you for three days. It made me kind of sad. Um, I do think, however, if someone goes on a first date with you and five days later, they say, what are you up to this weekend? I do think you can be playful about it and be like, uh, I'm, you know, doing this with my friends. I'm not sure about Sunday. By the way, P.S., this message was three days late. <laughs> you know, like, where was this message three days ago? Yeah, yeah. Um, you could be playful about it. But I'm also, I am also saying, like, hey, idiot, we had a good time. Like, where was the message right. asking me out again? This has been five days. Playfulness is your friend at that stage. And because we're alluding to something serious, which is that in order for me to invest time in someone, I need to know that they like me, which is a serious point. You don't have to be serious in your communication of that point. Mm. And that's one of the things that when we lose our confidence, we stop being playful. Like I went to my, my friend's house who I'd known for years, but I, you know, anytime I went to his house with his family, he's got a wife and, and three kids. Anytime I went to his house, I would still sort of play the guest where I'd wait for someone to ask me if I wanted a drink or whatever. And he once, you know, I once walked in and everyone was grabbing their plates for dinner. And he said, the name's John. He said, Matthew's not grabbing his own plate right now because he still thinks he's a guest in this house who has to be waited on. And and I laughed and I was like, ah, okay, I'm no longer a guest. Let me grab a plate. Like he didn't, he didn't say to me, Matthew, I think you and I need to have a talk. <laughs> You're still coming to this house and being too uptight. You know, he didn't say that. He yeah. just, he made a little, he, he poked fun of me a little bit uh, mm. in a playful way, but that takes a kind of looseness. You have to be loose to do that. Mm. When, you're, when you're afraid, I don't know if I want to say this because it might turn them off. 
I don't know if I want to say this because mm. it might be too intense. When we do that, that's actually when we get intense. <laughs> we start overthinking everything. And then when we overthink, we go, I'm just not going to say anything because I don't want to ruin it because yeah, we're having right. a nice time and I, I just don't want to screw it up. But what's happening now is you're no longer communicating the things that indicate the kind of relationship you're actually looking for. Most people who are being intentional about wanting to meet someone, they value consistency. Are you actually showing me that you like me? Are you actually making me feel safe in this situation? Or am I constantly second guessing whether you like me? Now, a lot of people feel that way. Of course, when we're not in a healthy place ourselves, we might value inconsistency. <laughs> we might value someone who makes us constantly second guess ourselves because we think that that's, that's attractive in some way, that, that mm. this person must be valuable if they're messing me around. So there's a whole thing to talk about there. But, but people who are being intentional and people who want to find love generally feel safe when there's consistency from the other person. But of all the people that think that, only a small percentage actually communicate that in a healthy way. That's so, I almost don't want to go past the whole that some people value inconsistency. Like that's actually really strong. Do you mind going a little deeper on that? That was so powerful. Two things can happen. One, we don't get honest with ourselves about what we need to be happy. So we, we don't chase the right things. Mm. We, instead of saying, oh, this person's actually being consistent with me. This person's actually not leaving me in doubt as to whether they like me or not. This person's actually making a plan to see me. Instead of following that, knowing that actually ultimately this is what where peace lies, is in a person who's doing these things, mm. we chase the person who is always making us second guess ourselves. One of the reasons that we do that is because well, there's a couple of things. So one, there's the economics of value. What is scarce, what is difficult to obtain, what I have to fight for must be more valuable. And that's a really dangerous thing to apply to your love life. Because someone can be hard to get, unavailable, constantly dipping on and off your radar, not because they're so valuable, but because they're so unavailable or because they have issues of their own or because they're selfish or because they're only out for themselves or that has that doesn't equate to value. And by the way, here's what's really fascinating about that. That same person might be available a year from now and start doing the right things. But because they're no longer fitting the, let's say, the bad boy stereotype, the woman he's now available to is like, hmm, he doesn't seem as important or as valuable as this guy who's making my life really difficult. Mm. And do you think that is that in the moments that they're not making the life difficult, they're like, oh my God, they're making me feel so special. So that feeling that you get if let's say you're together with someone for three months and they're only paying you attention 5% of the time, that 5% can feel so freaking powerful because it's only 5%. And how easy, by the way. Anyone, anyone can go on a date and dazzle for five minutes. 
And then if you don't get any more of that person, then it just, they just feel dazzling. But how much fun are they to spend time with when the two of you are just doing laundry? What's it like when the two of you are just hanging out reading together? You know, the, that's the real test. And when someone's only giving you 5% of their energy, it's really easy for them to remain mysterious and exciting. This is, this is why, by the way, when affairs happen, the person on the outside of the relationship, it, there's sort of such an unfair advantage that the person on the outside of the relationship has because they only have to be dazzling for the 5% that they're showing up for. The husband or the wife, the person who's there every day, that person, that show is going on 24 hours a day. So it, it's a much harder show to be dazzling in because it's going on 24 hours a day. People who feel that Hamilton is dazzling might not feel that way if Hamilton was playing around the clock in their house 24 hours a day and it was the only show happening at a certain point, mm. it would no longer have the dazzling effect of a three hour show that you go and see on a special occasion. That's what a partner is, a long-term partner is someone who, who has to, we have to be able to live with, not be dazzled by, to live with, to exist alongside. What's that experience? Someone that comes in from the outside and is like very alluring and very mysterious. How easy, how easy to be alluring and mysterious when someone knows you for five minutes? It's much easier for me to be impressive and exciting and dazzling on a Lisa Bilyeu interview <laughs> podcast conversation than it is for me to be that to my brother or to my best friends or to my partner because that's real life. That's me on an average day. So we way overvalue the dazzling and when someone is giving us pieces of themselves, our mind can go, A, what I'm getting is really, really exciting. And I equate that to what the whole relationship is going to be like. This is not true. And because they're unavailable, their value must be higher. Because that's just the economics of our mind works like that. Mm. If it's rare, it must be more valuable. Now that can happen objectively even though we should remind ourselves that over the course of someone's life, they're going to be very unavailable to some people, and then they're going to be really available to someone. Right. And the person they're really available to will have a different experience of them than the people that they're unavailable to. They're not the bad boy to the person they open up to. Right. No one is the bad boy to the person they choose. You can't be. You can't remain the bad boy whilst going, I want to marry you. Mm. I'm done, you're my person, they're no longer the bad boys. So the funny thing is, if you're chasing bad boys, you're always chasing someone in a phase. You're chasing someone who's in that period of their life, but they won't be that to someone else down the line. But meanwhile, you'll just keep trading guy in that phase for another guy in that phase, for another guy in that phase, all the while thinking that's their, their value must be really high because they're really unavailable. When you're just getting attracted to someone who's in a phase that happens actually to be really bad for you. Now, the other part of that is 
we overvalue those things when we undervalue ourselves. If you want me, something's going on with you that I don't trust, because I'm not great. You don't want me? You're treating me like I'm disposable? You're onto something. <laughs> That's so powerful. So making sure that you do the internal work yourself is very important. Um, but there is the intoxication when you're in a relationship and you have this really strong desire and attraction that you hold on to the good moments mm -hmm. and you're, you give reasons why the bad moments exist right now. So it's like, well, they're going through a hard time. There was this one time that they really, like I was in a relationship before Tom for almost four years and it was a very toxic relationship. And I remember having all of these like ups and downs where it's like, he told me how much he loved me. And then the next day he was emotionally abusive. But every time he was emotionally abusive, I would hold on to the time that he was really nice to me. And I had convinced myself that the bad times weren't indicative of who he was. And the good times were. But he was just going through a hard time, obviously, for three years, which I can now look back on and see is, you know, me pulling the wool over my eyes. Um, but there is that convincing that we do to ourselves because we want to feel accepted even though with what you're saying was like, he's rejected me, so then I must be onto something. Like there's like this duality of that emotion. You have to be able to separate how you feel about someone from how someone makes you feel. Those are very different things. I may feel about a person that they are charismatic and, and adorable and intelligent and wise and fun. but they make me feel, or if they make me feel lonely and, and sad and, and anxious and stressed and questioning my value, that's the reality of my relationship. Mm. So you can think someone is a god, but if they make you feel like you're nothing, that's gonna be your experience. It's so interesting how our opposites have actually, I think, helped us really shape each other. And like, there are things that you've introduced me to that I didn't, wouldn't have been introduced to otherwise. And so it really helped me step out, step out of my comfort box. Um, but a lot of people actually, I think, the op being complete opposites will be a detriment to their relationship long term. So how I want to actually do this episode is I've got multiple themes that I want to talk about and how if people are opposites, what are the tactics that they can um, do in order to survive and actually thrive in their relationship? So I've got religion, finance, kids and discipline, Oof. and how you're going to bring them up, Oof. habits, and then hobbies. Okay. So I want to start got, with... Got a, got a couple dangerous ones in there. We've got some dangerous ones. Yeah, but I think by far the most problematic is children. Oh, interesting. No question. People break up over kids and money. That is it, my friend. Those right, are so the then, two that really fuck people up. Let's start with the finance. Okay. So with me and you, when I first met you, I was a saver. Growing up, every single penny my mom ever gave me, pound pocket money, I always saved. Um, and when I met you, you um, it wasn't that you were frivolous with your money, but you were in debt, and I'd never met any... Uh, from, college, from college, I would like to yeah. point out. But actually being from... Not like from, I had just being, racked up debt. <laughs> sure, but. but being from England, my college was free. Sure. So I'd never met anybody who had a college 
college there. Obviously, you were the first American that I dated, so you know. But it was a shock that you were in debt, um, and so let's worried I was going to drag you down. <laughs> well, but, but no, you joke about it. But what if you could have, right? I did for a while, in fairness. So, so let's talk about that. A, where we came together with different types of financial situation yep. or financial situation, and then when we married, we both had to alter the way we see money and spend money. So. Um, Talk to me about what the key things are that we have to address, first of all, and then how we get through it. So I, I really think that people don't understand the need for rules in their life in general. So um, how is money spent? And, and this is gonna get into a, a sort of overarching theme that I imagine will come up over and over in today's conversation when you're talking about when do opposites become problematic? It's all around values. And that's, that's where people disconnect, that's where countries end up conflicting, is they just can't fathom that there is another valid way to approach the world. It's my way or the highway. And around money, man, you got a lot of like hidden values that people mistake for truth. Like when we first met, I was like, oh, so how much money does your dad give you is basically an allowance. And you were mortified that I would ask that because you had a value that was like, you don't talk about money. And I remember thinking, hmm, this is going to be a problem. Mm. So because, and look, I could not have said, oh, we have a collision of values here. That obviously is something that's come over time. But at the time, it really did hit me as Ooh, when someone has a conflicting value with you, they see the world in a way that you think is worse, less than, it really hits you in a visceral way of like, I don't like this. And when you have a visceral reaction, most people do not know what's happening. They, they just go with their neurochemistry. So they have the visceral reaction. And as Viktor Frankl said, between stimulus and response is a gap. And you get to choose how you respond. And like your whole life is in that moment. So if they know, oh yeah, this visceral response that I'm having is because we're having a collision of values. That's precisely what it means. So rather than have the argument about money, this isn't about money, this is about a value system. Mm. So where, what's going on here? So for you, money is not to be discussed. For me, that question wasn't actually about money. It was about open communication. Okay, so that was step one. So we had to process through that. Then you get to the real machinations of money. And I will just say, here's some good advice for anybody, literally no matter what phase of your life you're in. Off the top, pay bills. Then you need to be saving. You wanna save as rapidly as you can to get to the point where you have six months cash on hand, period. I don't care who you are, I don't care what your value system is, this is just reality. And we're recording this in the middle of the COVID-19 crisis, so I'm, can anybody say that that would be a bad fucking idea to have six months living expenses? Not, not cut your life to the quick. The way you live now, you can live without changing a thing for six months. If you're unable to save, your lifestyle is out of control and you need to get your lifestyle to a point where you can save up to that. Because you only have two levers, the amount of money you make and the amount of money you spend. That's it, homie. So it's one or the other. Now. That is not something that I was good at when we met. That's certainly something that I've gotten more disciplined over time. But even in the beginning of our relationship, when you were like, hey, it's really, um, I come from a saving standpoint, I was like, that actually does make sense. Like I've always been by myself. I've always kept my expenses very low, but there's no question that is a very smart way to approach it. So anyway, Keep your expenses reasonable. Make sure that you save up enough money. Make sure that your bills get paid. And then after that, make sure that you have spending money 
that each of you control. So the other stuff is joint. The saving is joint. And whether one of you has a job, you both have a job, you save like that core amount. Now, how you break that up, that's up to them. If it's, all right, you make 30% of the money, I make 70% of the money, then you contribute 30% to all the bills and I contribute 70% to all the bills. To me, that makes sense. I've always been like, I'm always trying to get to the point where it's, it's just, 50 50 right so in our case i was the only one making money but i was like yo this is the life that we have chosen this is 50 50 i don't think of it as my money that i give to her it's like this is 50 50 this is the life that we've structured now, Which, was, that was something that was actually difficult for me and we had to talk through because i didn't want to think that i had to come to you for permission and that you were making the money and then you were just giving it to me me and you when you went to work and i was going to stay at home we spoke through it we sat down from day one all right how much do you think we should save? this is how much i think i sh- we should save. and we went back and forth and really laid out everything so that we were all were both on the same page from the get-go mm. and we approached that with no judgment of each other because actually when i first met you i actually did judge you a bit because you weren't conscious of saving like I was, where like for me, it's like if I can see like a cheaper way of doing it, I was like, oh, let's do that. But you weren't very conscious like that. And so I was just like, but he's the one that's is in college there and I'm not. And there was a bit of like judgment there. Yeah, I'm not, not, I'm not sure that that's a bad you. thing uh-huh. to be fair. I, I don't know. So how about this? It is a very predictable thing. And when you have a collision of values, guaranteed part of that visceral reaction is judgment it's they're doing it wrong that the way they do it is wrong the way that i do it is right Mm -hmm. now whether it should be that way or not we can set aside for a second i will just say i don't have a problem with that you judge me when our values collide and i judge you when our values collide that that is going to be the discussion that there is a right way to do this a right way now let's define right what are your goals Mm. One of the ways moves you more effectively towards your goals than mm. the other. So that, that's what I mean by right. I don't mean they're better or more worthy. Okay. I just you. mean that we have a goal. If we're coming at this with opposing values and we have a shared goal, then it's like, well, look at it. Which one of these is actually going to leave it, lead us there? Now, if you haven't mm. come up with shared goals, that's a whole nother thing that you have to talk about. In fact, I think that's where we you need to start, right? What is the goals? Like with Quest, right? You came in and you're like, baby, if we do this um, and it doesn't succeed, we lose the house. So here I am, you know, we've been married, what was it, like seven years or something at that point, eight years. And you came back and you're like, we just bought our first house and I was so freaking excited. You're like, yeah, if we lose it then, or if the company doesn't succeed, then we lose it. And so, But in our discussions of agreeing on what our goals are as a team was what made me say, yeah, absolutely. But if we hadn't had the discussion about what are our goals together from the get-go, you coming home and saying, oh yeah, I wanna you know, put the house up for, you know, as a risk of a protein bar company and I have no idea, I've never made a protein bar in my life. I think I probably went, are you fucking nuts? But because I was, we were so invested in, we're going to do this together, we're going to build something amazing together, we're going to make movies, that was definitely the goal at the time, but it's like, to make movies, we have to take risks. And so we agreed that that was the path we were going to go on. Yeah, so on goals, there was an episode of Impact Theory I did with a guy named Casper Craven, and he talks about, he and his wife were really at a, at a dark place, 
and they weren't sure if they were going to stay together. And they thought, why don't we write down shared goals and spend like a year or two years living towards those goals and see um, what that does. And he said, even just the act of sitting down and dreaming together, he said was was so bonding. And he said, we laid out like all of our dreams. You know, here are my seven things I wanna do with my life. Here are her seven things she wants to do with her life. He said, there was only one that overlapped. And he said, they just clung to that one thing. Mm -hmm. All right, cool. We both share this dream and now let's go for it. They wrote it down, which is so powerful and hung it up on the wall and then just said, everything serves that goal. And that's so clarifying one for you and then unifying for a couple. Super powerful. So just going back to money. So assuming that you have the shared goal of what you're trying to accomplish, then the collisions of values will all revolve around which one is going to move us towards the goal more effectively. And if you can talk like that and not be overly invested, and this is where identity, man, is rough. I've heard it said, I forget by who, but when you touch on someone's identity and say, that's a problem, or you're not as good good at that as you think, Ooh, that's when you light people up and they get super defensive. So getting past some of that to be like, oh, I really believe in the goal. The goal I believe in. Anything else that we get into, ah, I'm open, right? So, um, but that's hard. It's not easy for people. Like your identity has all these tendrils. It's all these weird things, right? Like you were saying, oh, I'm a saver, but I have a value that's that saving is good. So when you say I'm not a saver, I'm like, oh, I'm not something that's good. Ah, like it gets hard for people to own that there are parts of their personality that don't serve their goals as much as they would like, but they're, they are still real. All right, want to move on to the next subject. You want to talk about kids? Sure. All right. So um, me and you always thought we were going to have kids when we got married. I actually wanted four. I think you wanted two. Um, but right from the get-go, I mean, people may not know this about you, but right up until we, we thought we were going to have kids, you were reading children's books, parenting books. That's what you were asking for 100%. Christmas. My mum bought you with utter excitement. She thought she was going to be a grandmother. So she bought you every book under the sun. Um, and we discussed it endlessly about how we were going to bring up our kids. And we did it before we have children. And that was a big... We did it before we even started trying to have children. Right. For those people at home, though, we never did stop right. trying. Right, not trying. <laughs> yeah, but I just right. wanted to like, make that clear. Um, but right, that's exactly it. Before we even started to think about actually starting it, we discussed everything. How we were going to discipline our kids. What religion were we going to br- bring them up in? What was important to me growing up? What was important to you? And there were things that we actually had collisions on. Um, the one that comes to my mind is um, was uh, discipline and spanking. Mm. Yeah. So if you want to talk about that and then... Well, I mean, I will speak for myself. I was so rebellious and I've always had such a problem with authority that I would just push and push and push until I got spanked and then I would stop. Now, when I say it did not traumatize me, I don't have any bad feelings. I always knew my mom loved me. Um, And I remember... At 13 years old, my friend Justin Angove comes into school one day and he was all excited. He's like, my mom tried to slap me and I blocked her and she burst into tears. She's never going to slap me again. And I was like, that's genius. I've never thought like I'm bigger than my mom now. I've never thought to to block her. This is so <laughs> smart. The next time she tries to slap me, I'm going to karate kid the shit out of her and I'm going to block it. And that's just going to end it. And she's going to know who's boss from then on. And so... 
it couldn't have been very long. The next day, probably, I remember standing at the front door. I'm pushing and pushing and pushing. I don't remember what she wanted me to do. And escalate. Ah, and then finally she goes to slap me. Boom, I block it. And you can't imagine how, feel, how good I feel. I am elated. And she goes to slap me with the other hand. Boom, and I block that too. And I was like, oh, like she knows what is up now. And then pow, she got me with the third one. And in the moment, like right then and there, I was like, Mad respect. I see you, Bill. You like nothing but my mom is not going to back down. My mom loves me, wants good things for me. She's going to keep my ass on the straight and narrow. Just that fucking simple. I never got in trouble. I didn't drink, didn't do drugs. Like I was just in line. I fucking am so grateful for that. Like I'm so grateful for my mom and the way that she raised me. My mom didn't take shit, but she loved me to fucking death and she wasn't abusive. And so to me, there is such a clear line between keeping someone in line and being abusive. Like they, they, are, they are a spectrum for sure. And I get it. Some people can spill. My mom never did always like she never hurt me or injured me or anything like that. But she got my attention. And yeah. So anyway, that to me was like, yo, if a kid is going berserk. I'm going to give him a swat on the ass and to bring him into line. And for me, though, I was so fearful. So my dad did spank. Not much. I think maybe he spanked me once. I remember him slapping my hand once as well. And it broke my heart. Like, broke my heart. And I think it I, would have been the same for and, my sister. And I had a certain amount of fear. Um, and I know my dad loved me. and so, But I was definitely like, oh, don't get him mad. And he only did but it once. But that's the and point. He, right. But... I had the fear. And so my thinking is, I don't want to put fear in my kids, um, in their conscience, like that, in their conscience. Like that's just, I don't want to do that to them. But you have such a wonderful story that you come from the other perspective. So even like we had spoken about, well, do we spank them? Do we not? All I right. said to you that I would have probably slapped their hand, but um, I, I couldn't do anything else. But if you felt strongly that you felt like if someone was out of control or our child was out of control and you needed or wanted to spank them, I would have, I would absolutely, like putting myself in that situation right now, I would absolutely respect you because if that's something that you feel like you need to do, but I would say to you, hey, we have to be careful on what type of child you spank and how they react to it because un, like you're a rare breed in my mind. Like, I don't know how many other people are like, oh my, I respect my parents for spanking me, right? It's, it's unusual. So I would have worried that if you ended up spanking a ch our child who maybe was super soft, and you even said, right, your sister would have felt the same way. So, um, so as you can see, guys, at home, like this is something that we talk about and we're going to go back and forward with, but it's important to discuss because if when we have a kid, all of a sudden you spank and we haven't spoken about it, like would I have been horrified? Would I have had, like lashed out at you and now that child sees the fact that me and you don't agree on the punishment? Like talk about mixed messages to children. And that's one yeah. thing that we spoke about as well is if we ever disagree, never do it in front of the kids because we always have to be united. Um, but that the spanking thing was just one thing and then also the religious thing um we come from different perspectives not necessarily perspectives but different belief systems and i was brought up greek orthodox and that was really important to me that our kids were christened greek orthodox and that um they learn greek and so you seem to be okay with you know um coming on board with the the culture 
Um, but what would you say, let's say this sounds like, I know many people who especially like, um, I have a lot of Jewish friends and it's like, no, I just won't marry someone out of my religion because mm. it is important. It is important to me that my children are the same. So it's not even about their partner. They just won't look for someone out of their religion because it's important that their kids are the same. Yeah, but for my, me, my thing with kids is I, I'm not going to be dogmatic. They need to think like me, but I'm going to always be honest with them about what I think. My thing was you were always super reasonable. You weren't dogmatic. You weren't, you know, um, like ultra fundamental or anything. So there was no like you saw beauty in a lot of it and you saw beauty in the ritual and things. And I was like, yeah, I respect all that. Like getting the kids christened and stuff. Sure. If that makes you happy, like I don't think it has any sort of ill effects. Um, you never asked me to lie. So it's like, yeah, you be honest, you do you. I'm not going to make fun of you or what you believed at the time. I'm like, hey, this is what your mom thinks. This is what I think. And, you know, follow your thing. I don't really care. It's like, I want people to think for themselves. I want them to make their own decisions. I want them to to chase beauty and poetry where they see it. And if they see beauty and poetry in the Bible, then go for it. But you said a really big key thing there is we respected each other. So you actually, you got christened. I don't know how many people know this, but being Greek Orthodox, I'd always dreamt about getting married in a Greek church and having that very traditional wedding. Um, and I remember when you proposed and we were talking about it and I was like, hey, look, it's very important to me to get married in a Greek church. Um, and you're like, oh, I've, I've never even dreamt about my wedding day. So of course, then when it came to getting christened, you said, look, I will do what I need to be done for me to get christened. You went, like, I was going to say religiously, pun intended, to sit with a bishop once a week, twice a week, for weeks on end, to have classes in order to pass and have him accept um, you into the religion and then he christened you. And you went in and you were like, look, if I'm going to do it, there was no resentment in you. You were like, you realized this was a gift. I think I was thanking you profusely, which is important versus expectation. I didn't mm. expect you to do it. And then you were just, you were so into it and you're like, yeah, I'm going to do it. Like if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And you went in with a stack of books and you were asking questions about religion and things like that. But at the end, I remember you saying to me, I hope, you know, this doesn't mean that I believe in God now. And please don't ever ask me to convert emotionally. Like I will do it for you so that we can get married in a church, but it's very different. And if your dad ever asks me, because that was a big thing, I was like, oh my mm. God, I don't want my dad to know you don't believe in God. And you were just like, look, if your dad ever asks me, I'm not going to lie to him. And I remember you saying that. I was like, oh my God, oh God. What if I hope dad? he never asks. I hope he never <laughs> asks. I was. But in that moment, I had to stop and say, Lisa, this isn't just about you. He's willing to meet you in the middle. Like he's willing to do all this stuff because I've said it's important. Like what he's doing for you is beautiful. And the fact that I can't now meet you in the middle and say, yes, you still should be who you truly are. And for me to ask you to be anything else, I don't think would have been fair as a partner to do to you. You weren't asking me to not have a religious wedding. So why on earth would I ask you to convert your beliefs? 100%. So. All right, now I want to move on to habits because I think especially right now, if people are stuck at home, um, difference in habits, I think, can actually start to probably. Ooh, yeah, this is a particularly weird time for habits and routines. It's a good point. Yeah. I hadn't even thought about that. We're so like, we have such a rhythm 
But it's funny, if we worked out at the same time, it could be a problem because that's like your safe space. Like you, even I'm like, I'm in Lisa's gym. Like, <laughs> oh God, I gotta hurry. It's so interesting. And the funny part of me is like, he's in my gym. <laughs> he's using my weights. <laughs> we share everything 50-50 except the gym. Don't fuck with my gym. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, that is a glimpse into our marriage very much so. <laughs> um, I do think, so again, rules, communication, people have got to talk about how do we use this space, right? So it is possible in the next 12 months that you spend five, six months on quarantine. Like, who knows, right? I am not an expert. I have no idea what will actually happen, but that is a very real possibility. Looking at the mutation rate of the virus and all that stuff, it's fucking real. So getting to understand how people effectively um, get their needs met in the space. I want to use this, like for instance, the gym would be a perfect example for us. It is very important to you, the gym. Now, the gym is using our language. The gym is meaningful to me. It isn't important like it is for you. If I missed a week, whatever, I don't fucking care. But like you really like, make it one of your highest priorities to make sure that you get your time in the gym. So it's like if we were colliding and I was like messing up your routine because you use a lot of things all at the same time, it's like I would be very respectful of that and say, cool, I get it, she needs her space. Then on my writing days, I need my space. I can't have people fucking interrupting me. It drives me crazy. And so if we were in a small house where it was like during my writing time, you had to give me extra consideration I would lavish you with praise for doing so because I want to make sure I reward that behavior, but I would also give you the gift that you want, which is I would, hey, when are you not in the gym? And then I'll go make my gym time around that if I have to work out you know, midday or really early, which thankfully for us, we're on slightly different sleep schedules. So for me, it's just I wake up and, and I'll go straight to the gym and usually I'm done before you even wake up. Um, but setting those rhythms, talking through this stuff, giving gifts, giving gifts, like want the other person to be happy. And then when the other person is doing something nice for you, lavish them with praise for that. And don't lavish them with praise, because if this goes on for months, don't lavish them with praise in week one. And then by month three, it's just an expectation, mm -hmm. right? Like you like it when I boil your water, which I haven't done in the oh, new house. Oh, I was so, gonna say something <laughs> to you today and I was like- Please do. So for I'm just totally out of the rhythm. I don't even go back there. So for the longest time you were boiling the kettle and it got to a point where I forgot to thank you because I was just, and I remember being like, oh man, he didn't boil the kettle yeah, today. You noticed if I didn't do it, right? but you didn't notice if I did do it. And I remember it. we, you said, and you're like, look, it's turning into an expectation. And I was like, oh my God, you're so right. I can't believe since we've moved so it's been what maybe three months now you haven't boiled the kettle and then this morning I was like I really want to tell him to boil the kettle for me but I was like I don't know how to approach it because it's kind of freaking cheeky for me to ask you it, I'm so glad this, this came up I'm so how, glad yes. this came up because here's the one now I'm just going to relate to you and people can watch and see how we talk there is no malice. I'm not being passive aggressive. I legitimately need to see it to remember mm -hmm. and so I and then once I get in the habit then we're good and when we were living here, I would walk by it every morning and I would see it on the way in and the way out. Mm -hmm. And so it became this thing where, and then I would see it before the gym and after the gym. So I would see it like eight times in the morning and I only had to remember one time because I would see it eight times before you woke up. Now, because it's in like a separate part, I don't see it. So I never just accidentally walk by it ever. 
So being reminded, because I want to give you a yeah, gift. How would I, I want say to that lift to you up. You? Hey, baby, I want to help you get back in the habit because you've told me that you want to do this for me and it is a meaningful thing. Mm. So, and look, the way that you say it will, of course, acknowledge that it is cheeky to ask and because there is, it's weird and nuanced and complicated. So saying like, hey, this is so cheeky, but you did say, and so like, I would love it if you, you know, did it. And then know that like, I might then remember once and then forget again for a week. And I want the reminders. And then once I get back in the rhythm, you, I'll get back in the rhythm because hopefully you'll have been rewarding me for doing it. And then don't let it become an expectation because then it just sucks. It's just a chore. And that's exactly the words I had in my mind. I was like, okay, I want to say how meaningful it was to me. But I do recognize it is still cheeky for me to ask you to boil the kettle. But I'm actually really glad this happened because people can hear at home. Like, I, we really do talk like this. And most of the time, it's we try to at least, or definitely I try to, have these conversations when we're emotionally sober, you know, because it's like, I can say to you, babe, I know it's cheeky, like what's the, actually the best way for me to ask you this? Mm. And you just tell me, well, if you ask me like this, this is actually what will help. And if you ask me like this, and so we give each other the gifts in, because we trust each other and we're not trying to manipulate each other. Um, so it's so important that we, that we have these open conversations. So let's go back to habits. Um, so people are at home, talk, so let's say they start talking about the communicating, what's important and then what's not. Um, giving the time, I love that. One thing is you were talking that we've spoken about that we did for a while um, when I was finding it hard to let you know when I was on, I was working and when I was off the clock because mm. we were working and living in this house at the same time, the studio. And I remember, in fact, I think it was in a relationship theory episode, I had the idea that it should be like the Brazilian um, restaurants. So, you know, in the Brazilian mm. restaurants, you have those like bring more meat, don't bring me little coop, like chip. We had done, I did the lamp. And mm. in, our, in the bedroom, I would switch on the lamp when I was, um, it was nighttime for me, when I was yeah. switching off work. So what you would do is you would come into the bedroom, maybe say something about work, see the lamp was on and be like, love you. And then you would walk back out. Mm. So it was an indicator to the other person without having to say the words. So as you were talking, if you're confined in this space, maybe there's certain things like that. Whereas like, if right, you don't yeah. want to be bothered, have the discussion, right? Because even in the words, don't want to be bothered, some people may get their back up by it. So have the things like, I need space, I need time to focus like using these types of words mm. i think will help that communication and then having that sort of signal that says cool when i do x it means i'm in work mode when i do z it means i'm in let's hang out mode let's talk about other things right. um so that was actually one thing that came to mind um but what about things like habits like and fad let us talk about this um leaving clothes on the floor and someone's messy the other person's neat so one thing is like, I don't want you to feel like I'm just bossing you about, pick up your clothes. It's like, because I know when we first met, you never made the bed. I always made the bed. Right. Which and, is madness. But we, it's right. And lunacy. the fact that you think is madness, I think is madness that you don't make the bed. Right. Like madness that you don't make the bed. How can you not make the bed? But we spoke about it and you explained. And originally I definitely came to it from a judgment perspective because I'm like, oh, 
God, I can't believe Goals, you. which moves you towards your goal or not. Right. Like, I'm, I'm all for it. And this is really what people need to be thinking about when it comes to this. So um, this is a perfect example because I think it's real. I think a lot of people are going to struggle with it in terms of clean up, don't clean up. So if you're in a relationship where one person wants things clean and one doesn't, I promise you, you are at a collision of values. One person thinks it is self-evident that you should be picking up and keeping things tidy. And one person thinks it's self-evident that to constantly be cleaning and tidying when something is just going to get remessy the next day doesn't make any sense. So one is there's two types of collisions of values. Ones that can be worked through and you can come to a compromise or a new agreement and one where absolutely not. Um, I'm not going to change. I understand your position. I understand it perfectly. Steel man. I got it. I can explain it better than you. And I still think it doesn't make any sense and vice versa. So let's deal with that, where there, there's just no compromise to be had, which for us is being tidy. There, we, we have talked about it six ways a Sunday, but the reality is when things get messy, it gives you anxiety. So no matter what words, no matter how much logic I give you, unless you were willing to do the work to unwind that neurological pattern, it's never going to change. So now is where it gets into you're going to have to create rules around how things are handled. So is it that, like for instance, don't fuck with my part of the closet, right? I have a side, you have a side. You can do whatever you want in your closet. You can fucking clean it with a toothbrush if you want. I have my side of the closet. Yo, you don't have to look at it. Like it's going to be the way I want it to be. And that's that. I'm not asking you to deal with it. I'm not asking you to clean it. I'm not asking you to wash my clothes, nothing. But I am not, this is, I understand your argument, but I'm not willing to do inefficient shit. It doesn't make fucking sense to me. So I'm going to keep mine the way that I want to keep it. You're going to keep yours the way you want to keep it. And all public areas will default to a DMZ, which means I can't be messy in it. Um, by In this example, clean is, is an absence. So the default in there would just be lack of mess. You take care of yours. I take care of mine. Um, if you want the bed made and I don't, by all means, make the bed. And I won't touch it during the day. I won't mess it up. But don't ever ask me to make it. So basically, it's don't And then cast do, do get the bed ready after because we sleep with diff, uh, separate blankets. Yeah, and so that's, that's another thing because you're like, if you make the bed, then you have to make sure that when I climb back into it, I don't have to fuss with the blankets. Yeah, meaning when you make the bed, you, you will oftentimes actually remove my blankets from the bed, sometimes remove them from the room. And it's like, hey, if you're going to do that, I absolutely accept it. Don't make me hunt for my own. Like that, that's really like hashtag real talk. That's so disrespectful in my world that it's like, this is going to be a problem every single day. If I have to go look for myself, I feel so disrespected. It's like, but that's you interesting you. that like the <laughs> you do me and no no, do no. Me. you you do you I'm not gonna <laughs> yeah, stop yeah. you but don't make it my problem right don't don't force your value system on me like we we have to to say we can't agree on this I'm I don't need you to adopt my values mm -hmm. but don't make your values my problem either and it like even just in the tone you're using like disrespectful that's a big fucking word a hundred percent used intentional correct and i know that you use your language very specifically and i just want to point out though that from my perspective i never would have thought you'd be disrespected because i wouldn't have perceived it like that myself so like i don't think of you putting your socks on the floor as being disrespectful i just think you're messy but me not but me moving your blankets from the bed 
wouldn't have occurred to me that you would interpret it to be disrespectful. And so if we didn't communicate and you didn't tell me that, I would have been like, what the fuck is wrong with him? Like, why is he grumpy? Like, right, and we would have battled and we wouldn't have said the words and I wouldn't have quite understood because I don't see it like you do. But because you were very honest and open, instead of me trying to persuade you, like, no, 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 it's not disrespectful. I'm just like, cool, that's how he feels. I'm going to respect that you feel disrespected by that, right? And so if I can respect it, then I can go, cool, how do I choose to act? Because then it's in my control. I can choose to disrespect you, but know that I'm disrespecting you. Or I can choose to not make the bed or, you know, whatever. But in that communication has allowed both of us to understand where the other person's coming from. And then going back to what you said, then we created rules of engagement around it. So it's like, cool, if I make the bed, I have to make sure it's unmade before you get in. Right, that's that's an agreement that we've made. And so we don't argue about the freaking bed anymore. It really comes down to, like this one, where they feel the other person is doing it wrong, inferior, and making it their problem. So they have to deal with doing things a worse way and they've never articulated it to themselves or to the other person. So it's just emotional reactions. And so you don't understand why I'm getting upset that the, the bed is made and it's lovely and beautiful and you're like, how, how am I in trouble right now? Mm. This bed looks gorgeous. He, he gets to walk in and see this beautiful room and I bet it makes him feel wonderful because that's how it makes you feel. And so you, you're just projecting it onto the other person without thinking through. When I walk in and I see a made bed, I either don't notice it or I think, oh, this is a pain in the ass. I have to like remove all the blankets and stuff before we can get into bed. I don't look at it and go, ooh, that's beautiful. Mm. So all the things you think I'm getting out of it, I'm not getting out of it. But until each person like really stops and defines it for themselves and then articulates it to the other person, it just becomes like that, the nagging and the bickering and the fighting and no one ever stops to ask, what are we actually fighting about? Yeah. Oh, actually, also, it makes me, as you were talking, making the bed, because this is how I was brought up. I perceived it as being a good wife. And so you walking in. Interesting. Right. Think about like the typical duties um, put upon, you know, stay at home women. It's make it cleaning, it's cooking, it's providing, it's being there for people. If I didn't know that you felt disrespected by me making the bed. No, 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 I, I don't feel disrespected by you making the bed. Sorry. But, feel disrespected by you hiding my fucking okay, blankets. Okay, but hiding your blankets. very okay. clear. Um, I would have felt though like, but like I'm doing something lovely. I'm like bringing my, my half to the hole and you coming in and being annoyed by it would have, yeah, really upset me. Yeah, from your perspective, I completely see and understand. That's why people have to talk through it. Even the um, the little nuanced where you said you found it disrespectful that I make the bed. And it's like, no, that's ah. not what I feel. And so this is where mm. like, man, even sometimes when you've talked about it or you think you've talked about it, the words don't mean the same thing or a slightly different meaning was taken away, but it can really change the intent, um, because here's, if I were you, are you ready for what I would do? I would for make- For the record, I don't make the bed anymore. But if you were going to. Okay. Make my side, my two blankets, maybe fold them in half, so all I have to do is unfold them. Fold them in half and then just put your blanket on top. Now you won't like that because it'll look lumpy. 
But for me, it's like, cool, then you just fold yours open, fold mine open, and now we're in bed. Super easy, nice and simple. Can I say but, something? Please. You are with me because I'm, oh, I love that. That just so touched my heart. Yes, that, that is definitely something that would bother you. I feel like you know me so well. You feel seen in the I avatar do. way. Yeah. I do feel seen. <laughs> oh, I see you. Working to be confident and freaking badass can be very difficult. Now, I get it, guys. I get it. Kicking ass and taking names takes energy. But when it comes to micronutrients, you're like, wait, how much vitamin B do I need? It can be a daily freaking struggle to figure out and meet that perfect nutrition balance that you need to feel strong, focused and energized, which, of course, are all the things you need to become a freaking confident badass. So it's time to arm your body with every nutrient it absolutely deserves with AG1. Now, if you're a long-time listener, you might know that I've actually been supporting AG1 for many years now. And that's because AG1 is a foundational nutrition supplement that supports your body's universal needs like gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. Since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, continuously refining their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. So if you want to take ownership of your life, that actually means you have to take ownership over your health. And it all starts, guys, with AG1. So guys, go and try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go now to drinkag1.com slash Lisa. That's drinkag1.com slash Lisa. Go check it out. What up, my homie? First, I just want to actually thank you. Like from the bottom of my heart, sincerely, absolutely thank you for your support, your support for me, your support for the show, Women of Impact. Like you have no actual idea how much this really means to me when I had that original vision of what I wanted to do and no one was listening. So thank you. Thank you for being here and actually supporting other women along this journey. And I'm going to be honest, if you actually want to level up your confidence game, my homie, then check out Women of Impact's subscription channel. It's specifically designed to help you in every aspect that you're looking for. Now, here's what you get. You get new episodes delivered ad-free. You get exclusive access to listen to Women of Impact roundtable discussions, weekly motivation, previously unreleased episodes, and that's just the beginning. Subscriber-only access to an additional four podcasts with hundreds of archived Women of Impact episodes meticulously, meticulously curated into theme playlists and updated weekly so that you get the dose that you need. So if you're looking to boost your confidence, then go and check out the Get Confidence playlist. If you want to repair, heal, or start a relationship, then go check out Love Lab. And if you're wondering how you get your health back on track so that you can keep showing up to have the confidence that you're looking for, then go check out Health Hub. And of course, this wouldn't be complete without my weekly boost of mini motivations from moi. That's right, it will have you strutting down the street with your head held high, feeling like a freaking badass. And guess what the playlist is called? the badass boost of course so guys don't settle for mediocrity when you can absolutely be extraordinary so guys subscribe to women of impact channel today on apple Podcasts or supercast but no matter where you're listening guys whether it's apple Podcasts, spotify amazon music or any other platform make sure you're following so you don't miss out on other episodes and don't forget to check out the show notes for more information on this episode our incredible sponsors and upcoming events